Hey everyone, what's going on? Welcome to a brand new edition of the Sam Bissell Podcast on the Ambiguous Podcast Solutions. And right now we bring you the latest and greatest going on around the world of Hollywood. Hope everyone had a wonderful weekend. Happy Martin Luther King Jr. Day for everyone that is celebrating. And whether you have the day off or you're working, hopefully you're able to enjoy the holiday and of course the extended weekend that comes with it. Some things I want to talk about on the podcast today. I'm going to be getting into a new look that came out for Kang the Conqueror in regards to Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania. There's some new details in regards to that. So I'm going to be getting into that a little bit. I'm also going to be going over some big award season news that has kind of happened over the last week. There's been kind of this big push with the DGA, the SAG, the Producers Guild Awards, a lot of the major kind of precursors that we look at before Oscar nominations come out next week that could really have a big impact of what to expect both next week on nomination morning and also of what could win at the Oscars in March. So we're going to get into all that and so much more on the podcast today. But the first thing that I do want to start off with with talking about on the podcast today, then again, usually on the on a Monday or Tuesday, if I don't do a podcast on Monday, is do the box office recap. But since this is an extended holiday weekend, the kind of official numbers aren't going to be kind of coming out until tomorrow. So on tomorrow's podcast, I'll do the box office recap with the three-day and four-day numbers on kind of what's solidified. So we'll get into that tomorrow. But to kind of kick everything off for the week is I want to recap the a little a little something that happened on Sunday night, and it wasn't the wild card week and extravaganza that was for the NFL, but it was on the TV side and going to the TV corner of the Sam Bissell podcast is a little show that kind of debuted on HBO last night. And that, of course, was the series premiere for the adaptation of the hit video game from Naughty Dog. And that, of course, is The Last of Us, which was created, co-created kind of and, and co-show run by Craig Mazin, who, of course, did an amazing job a few years ago with the hit HBO show Chernobyl. And of course, it was also created the show by the creator of the entire story and all these characters in this world from Naughty Dog, Neil Druckmann. It stars the incredible cast that includes the one-two punch of Pedro Pascal and Bella Ramsey. It also includes Gabriel Gabriel Luna from Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. and a few other awesome additions as well. So it's an expansive cast that is led by two incredible performers in Pascal and Ramsey. And there was a lot going into this. And this is really kind of the first big project, especially on the TV side at least, of 2023. And there was a lot of kind of going into this show, a lot of expectations. Can this kind of be the next big hit for HBO that isn't within the game, the the world of Westeros and Game of Thrones? And so I was really, really curious to see how this would would do. And especially when you have all these great performers in front of, behind the camera, a prestigious network like HBO, how is this going to all kind of play itself out? It's been getting great reviews overall. There's some people that have seen four episodes of the show. There are some people that have seen the entire first season. So there's been a lot of great accolades and a lot of great praise being showered on this show already but of course even with all that hype going into it as I know for me and a a lot of other people you don't know what you're going to think of it until you actually see what happens on the screen and I watched the premiere last night it was an hour and 20 minutes when you include kind of the the end credits the end stinger the behind the scenes that they kind of do at the end of HBO shows it was in total an hour and about 28 an hour and 28 minutes or so basically almost a feature-length movie that transpired for the premiere and overall I gotta say I was absolutely blown away 
by this first episode. It takes a, an incredible time in doing what a premiere usually does and a pilot does, which is set up the story, the world, the characters. And I think if you're somebody, and, and this is the, the the tough balance when it comes to video game adaptations, whether it's in movies or TV, is appeasing audience members that know the, that know the game, know the story, the characters, but also introducing it to people that have no idea what The Last of Us even is. Even if you tell them a basic synopsis of the story, going in, they're not gonna know what happens whatsoever. So that's really the balance when it comes to these kind of adaptations based off of games. And I think they did, they did a great job of, set, again, setting everything up, introducing us to everything. And I think for gamers, they did a great job for people that know the story in telling it in a way that expands on certain parts of the world and the lore that we didn't really have any any, any idea about. And I think they did, they did a great job of establishing all that. And I think for people that are coming into the show completely in the blind, not knowing what's going on, you see those expansions, but also you see the major plot points that drive the story of The Last of Us. And I just think they did a great job of utilizing that. And again, this is gonna, I should have said this at the top, but this is gonna be a non-spoiler review, so there's not gonna be any details that are given for this in particular. But to kind of go into in depth a little bit without giving any, again, any details away, I thought they did a great job in the beginning of introducing the threat that turns the world into this kind of post-apocalyptic landscape. I think it was, when you look at the game, it doesn't really do, it doesn't, it introduces it, but I think what the show did was make it more, somehow even more terrifying than the video game actually gives a credit for it. And I just think it was a great job by Craig Mazin and what he does so well, which is make real world stuff horrifying in a way. And he did a great job of that in Chernobyl. And I think he does a great job in establishing right away what this threat is and how it's going to take the world down basically. And then of course, going into the world of Joel and, and his daughter and his world and, and, and kind of following him into the, the first 30 minutes of this show. And then of course, for, for people that know what happens in the story to see what happens. And then for people that don't know, I think the way that they handle it and the way that they tell this story, it's just going to drive it even further into what will become the rest of this series potentially and the rest of the story leading into the first season. And I just think Pedro Pascal does an incredible job in this. And, and this and this first episode is very much Joel-centric and kind of establishes his world and what he's going through. And we get and we get bits and pieces of Ellie, who is played by Bella Ramsey throughout this episode, and we get introduced to their dynamic as the show goes on. But it's really kind of creating his world as he's really kind of the lead character in the beginning of, of, of this story. And I just think they did a great job of going to establish establishing all the different timelines and the worlds and how everything's kind of going to kind of transpire the rules and what goes into this kind of post-apocalyptic world. So all that I think was done really, really well for Craig Mazin. Again, I praise him as a showrunner, as a writer, but he also directs this premiere episode and this is his first time directing anything. And I thought he did an amazing job. I thought the pace of this episode was remarkable. I wasn't feeling it kind of at all. I mean, I was checking in in spots here and there to kind of just be like, is is there more? Is there more? I want more. And there was plenty to consume in this one, but he just did, I think, a great job of, again, establishing everything, but also 
making sure that there were moments of sincerity, of emotion, but also of horror. Because this is very much a horror show. This is going to be a horror show. I think it very much that the, the the material that you're dealing with is in the horror genre, and he just is able to deliver tension in that way. So I think as a director, Craig Mason just added that to his 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 arsenal of what he can do overall, just as a creator. So that was really exciting to see. Bella Ramsey, again, I, I'm singing the praises of Pedro Pascal. Bella Ramsey as Ellie was A+. And going to the gamer side a little bit, I think what is also very interesting is for them, are you going to be able to accept Pedro and Bella as Joel and Ellie? And I think in the beginning, I think it's going to be kind of an adjustment. But as the first episode goes on, as it ends, I think there's a shift that happens where you just instantly see the banter between the two of them. And you're just like, that's Joel and Ellie. That's who I saw in the video game. And for me personally, I'm excited to see where that goes as the season progresses. And I think for people, again, that don't know the game, I think there's a great twist that happens at the very end of this episode that kind of catapults the story moving forward as to why things are happening and why the events that happened previously are set in motion to what is going to be coming down the pipeline as well but everyone just turned in a great performance i thought anna torev who if you know from the fringe landscape she plays tess in this one she was awesome and a badass i think she's going to become a very big fan favorite as the show goes on as well so overall i think for Everything that was going into this episode, everything that was going into just this overall show, into this adaptation, and kind of knowing that with video game adaptations, they don't usually tend to play out the best way, and knowing that you had all this great talent in front of behind the camera that had great expectations, I think they executed flawlessly on this first episode, and I'm very excited to see what the remaining eight episodes have in store for all of us moving forward, because there's a lot of stuff to unpack in that first game, to see it all unfold in live action in this first season is going to be great to see and the journey is just beginning but what a great start to to the journey that they that they do and it is just it's it's amazing absolutely amazing start to this show i do hope it becomes the worldwide sensation that i think it can actually become for people that know the game but also i think for people that don't i think this is very in a very accessible story to grasp onto and again in that first 30 minutes i think once you see where they're going with the story I think it'll entice people to see where these characters go from here. And then, of course, the last hour or so of it is kind of setting up that post-apocalyptic world and what we're going to be seeing from these characters moving forward. So overall, I thought this was a great start to the show. I love the direction, love the performances. Designs were amazing. I felt like I was in this world. The setup was great. Everything you could want in a series premiere, in a pilot episode, they do in this one. And I'm very excited to see where they go moving forward on this one. What do you guys think about the first episode of The Last of Us? Did you enjoy it? Did you not enjoy it? Let me know what you think down below. Non-spoiler, again, no details, guys, on, on what you thought of the episode. Leave that. Leave some of the surprises for people, for people that don't know this because, again, if you know how this how this game goes and the story for how this game goes it it packs his punches very heavily and i think it, it needs to be there for people to enjoy that don't know what in the world they are in store for with this story so again let me know what you think non-spoiler details down below in the comments section 
Now to move on from The Last of Us and move away from the TV corner of the podcast and move into the award season venture of the podcast today. There is a lot of stuff to go over in my award season recap of about the last week or so. And over the last month, there's been, again, the slow burning engine of award season. I feel like this year, really kind of back to the annual award season adventures pre-pandemic. We, of course, have all these great parties, these red carpets, the film festivals kind of went off flawlessly without any incident. They, they were all in person. And now we're kind of getting this second phase of, of award season. And it all again started last week with the Golden Globes. And the last week has really just been kind of this nonstop boost, kind of a NOS given to the train engine that is the 2023 award season. And a lot of the big precursors that we look at when it comes to the Guild Awards, were announced yesterday in terms of nominations that will be given out over the next month or so prior to the Academy Awards happening in March. So to kind of start it all off and to kind of talk about something that actually happened last night, along with all the football, along with The Last of Us debuting, there was also the Critics' Choice Awards that happened last night, and they were kind of the one of the next ones to kind of be back in person in full attendance. For the most part, there were some people that had to not were not able to attend because they did test positive for COVID-19, but that didn't stop the party from happening as there were some big winners that came out of the Critics' Choice Awards yesterday. I'm not going to get into all the award winners since it is kind of a big list that would take a full hour just to kind of go through and kind of dissect everything, but to kind of just rattle off some of the big winners that happened from the night for the Critics' Choice Award, it was a big night for A24 and specifically Everything Everywhere All at Once, which won Best Picture, Best Director, and along with those two tallies, also won an additional three wins as well for a total of five overall on the night. It was the most nominated film of the Critics' Choice Awards this year with around, or at specifically, 14 nominations. It also won Best Supporting Actor for Kikwe Kwan, who is kind of the front runner right now to win Best Supporting Actor at this particular moment in time. Also looking at the rest of the acting categories, you had Brendan Fraser win for The Whale, kind of getting back on top to, I think, the front, true front runner status in that category after kind of Colin Farrell and Austin Butler were making a little bit of noise and Brendan Fraser was just kind of there and maybe slipping a little bit but last night I think he delivered an emotional speech that you wanted to see and, and I think is why these precursors mean a little bit more than maybe some others is because of those speeches for award winners that win these prizes and I think someone like Brendan Fraser, Kiwei Kwan, just having those speeches in hand, being emotional, relating to people, I think gravitates not just a general audience members and people maybe in the audience, but Academy voters who are right now voting for the nominations right now. And I think it is very crucial to have these kinds of wins right now. Then you go over to Best Actress, Kate Blanchett won over Michelle Yeoh for Tar. You also have Angela Bassett, who I think is becoming the presumed front runner and best supporting actress right now for her role in Black Panther Wakanda Forever. Going into the screenplay categories, you had the Daniels also winning for best original screenplay for Everything Everywhere All at Once. You had Sarah Polly winning best adapted screenplay for Women Talking, so maybe that could be a little bit of a boost for that movie, whose kind of award season heat has kind of faded over the last couple of weeks to month or so. 
Then of course, best editing went to Everything Everywhere, best cinematography went to Top Gun Maverick. So overall, a really good night for Everything Everywhere that again is in the mix for a lot of these big big awards going into Oscars. But again, we'll see how that goes around overall. And then earlier in the week, it was again, all guilds all the time. And the again, big precursors that I think are very attentive and get the biggest look at. And I think in terms of precursors, for what could potentially win on Oscar night are these Guild Awards. And so to go to the PGA real quick, the nominees for basically the PGA's best picture equivalent to that award are Avatar The Way of Water, The Banshees of Inishirin, Black Panther Wakanda Forever, Elvis, Everything Everywhere All at Once, The Fablemans, Glass Onion, A Knives Out Mystery, Tar, Top Gun Maverick and The Whale. And then along with the PGAs, the DGAs also came out with their nominations. And again, the equivalent to what would be the best picture for the DGA, the nominees for that, their best picture equivalent are... Todd Field for Tar, Joseph Kaczynski got a nomination for Top Gun Maverick, The Danos got a nomination for Everything Everywhere All at Once, Martin McDonough for The Banshees of Inishirin, and Steven Spielberg for The Fablemans. And then what came out a little bit earlier than that were the SAG nominations, which produced a few big surprises and snubs in their categories as well. So to kind of rattle off the categories real quick, the nominees and outstanding performance by a female actor in a supporting role, the nominees in that category are Angela Bassett for Black Panther Wakanda Forever, Hong Chow for The Whale, Carrie Connor for The Banshees of Inishirin, and Jamie Lee Curtis and Stephanie Hsu for their performances in Everything Everywhere All at Once. And then to go over to Outstanding Performance by a Male Actor in a Supporting Role, the nominees in this category are Paul Dano for The Fablemans, Brendan Gleeson for The Banshees of Inishirin, Barry Keoghan for The Banshees of Inishirin, Kiwi Kwan for Everything Everywhere All at Once, and Eddie Redmayne for The Good Nurse. And then to go over to the lead performances in their respective categories for Best Actress, the nominees in that category are Kate Blanchett for Tar, Viola Davis for The Woman King, Anna DeArmas for Blonde, Daniel Detweiler for Till, and Michelle Yeoh for Everything Everywhere All at Once. And then for Best Leading Male, the nominees are Austin Butler for Elvis, Colin Farrell for The Banshees of Inishirin, Brendan Fraser for The Whale, Bill Nye for Living, and Adam Sandler pulling in the surprise nomination for his role in his Netflix film Hustle. And then the Best Picture equivalent for the SAGs, which is Outstanding Performance by a Cast in a Motion Picture. The nominees in this category are Babylon, The Banshees of Inishirin, Everything Everywhere All at Once, The Fablemans, and Women Talking. So those were the the nominations for the SAG Awards. And then again, just to go over to the Golden Globes real quick, some of the big winners on the night for that production and for that awards body, which of course is voted on by the Hollywood Forum Press. The big winner for the night was the Banshees of Inishirin, which came away with three three wins overall out of the eight nominations that it had in total. The Fablemans won for Best Drama. The Banshees of Inishirin won for Musical Comedy. You also had Austin Butler winning for Best Actor, which kind of heightened his profile a little bit and gained a little bit more momentum in the early part of last week. Then you had Kate Blanchett winning for Best Actress in a Drama. Michelle Yeoh won for Best Actress in a Musical or Comedy. Colin Farrell won, who is also another big contender for the Best Actor Oscar overall and especially getting a nomination. He won for Best Actor in a Musical or Comedy. And then Best Supporting Actor and Best Supporting Actress in a Performance overall went to Kiki Kwan for Everything Everywhere All at Once. 
and Angela Bassett won for Black Panther, Wakanda Forever. Best Director went to Steven Spielberg for The Fablemans, which was great to see his speech and see him get up on that stage. And then Martin McDonough won for Best Screenplay. So those were kind of just to kind of run through the recap real quick of the of the big awards bodies that happened on on the last week or so. That was a lot to to, to process, and I'm sure for people that just listen, they're like, Sam, that was that was a lot. You 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 put a lot in, in our faces right now kind of break it down and I'm going to do that right now again it's a lot of these big awards bodies are the ones to really kind of look at and again the, the three to look at the PGA's DGA and SAG those are the three to really keep your eye out for when it comes to best picture. The PGA is the one to look out for. The D, the DGA, which is the Directors Guild Awards, that is to pick out for best director. They're a little bit finicky when it comes to nominations. I don't know if everyone's going to be coming out roses on that end on nomination morning next week, but some big winners on that front. And then, of course, the SAG Awards. That is very much a big indicator for what could who could win come Oscar night as well. So to kind of go through the big benefactors of last week when it comes to all of these nominations and winners overall. I think to start off the week when it came to to last Monday or last Tuesday, rather, excuse me, you had the Fablemans kind of coming out the big winner, Steven Spielberg, and and the film coming out overall for Best Picture, Best Director. I think that was, even though, again, Hollywood Foreign Press, the Golden Globes, you don't really kind of take that into a big consideration when giving it a big indicator for what the Academy might do because they're two different bodies. But I do think that the Golden Globes, again, offer a a, a thermometer, temper, a temperature of what the status is for these films come award season. And I think the last couple of weeks prior to the Globes, Fablemans was losing a little bit of st- Steam, but I think it gained a little bit of that back and is very much, I think, still in the forefront of the conversation to earn a lot of nominations and, and to earn, I think, legitimately some big time wins come Oscar night, especially, I think, in Best Picture, Best Director. It's still very much alive in, in those categories to not just, again, be nominated, but win those. I think a big, big, big winner for this past week overall, and, and it continued last night, was The Whale. And Brendan Fraser as well, I think. For The Whale, I think getting a PGA nomination was a big-time win for the film. It's been doing very well at the box office. So the film overall was kind of losing a little bit of of steam, but I think getting the PGA nomination helps. And I think what also helps was A, Brendan Fraser kind of getting back into the front-runner status conversation for not just getting a SAG nomination, but also winning at the Critics' Choice Award and giving an amazing speech last night, which was very heartfelt, emotional, and I think like Kiwi Kwan is writing that kind of great story arc. So I think two people are really kind of deserving of their wins, but also have that story of underdogs kind of getting back into the spotlight very deserving so. And so I think Brendan Fraser has that going for him as well. But another big surprise came in during the SAGs when Hong Chow got nominated for Best Supporting Actress and took one of those slots away from someone like, say, Jesse Buckley, who's been getting a lot of buzz for her performance in Women Talking. So I think her getting that performance indicates that I think within the Academy, because the SAG, the, the screen actors have a big presence within the voting body of the Academy. Same thing with the producers, the directors, I think very much so that 
that movie resonates more with the Academy right now than maybe, say, something else that, that came along that could be rising in, in status. So I think The Whale really benefited from this past week. I think another film, or not really film, but I think a person that benefited from their Screen Actors nomination that I don't know if he's going to get an, an Oscar nomination, but he didn't get a SAG nomination for his role in Uncut Gems. And that, of course, is Adam Sandler for his performance in Hustle. And whether he gets the Oscar nomination or not, I think even getting the SAG nom is a huge win for him, his PR team, the team that's running maybe the awards campaign for Netflix that have kept Adam Sandler in the conversation for months. I mean, he's been doing interviews, podcasts for award specialists since September, really. I mean, he's been on the Hollywood Actors, Hollywood Reporters, Actors Actors Roundtable. He was on the Actors on Actors series for Variety, which is a big award stop for people that are legitimate contenders that PR teams make sure they make that one of their prime spots or stops on the awards run. He's been doing a variety of award circuit podcasts. He's been on Scott Feinberg, who is a reporter for The Hollywood Reporter. He's been on his podcast, which is a big stop as well. So he's been on, on all of the major stops. He's done a round table for the Los Angeles Times as actors kind of conversation. So he, he, he's been making his, 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 his rounds for this one and it's paying off for him right now. Now again, whether that actually means he gets an Oscar nomination happens I don't know because I just don't think the film is getting enough support. And again, going back to the whale, the fact that it's not just Brendan Fraser, but it's some of the uh, his other cast members. It's the film that's getting a lot of praise. That's keeping it in in the name. I don't think Adam Sandler is going to be enough to get him a nomination for the film. And again, Hustle is a really good film. I very much enjoyed it, and it was a great performance by Adam Sandler. And it's the kind of stuff I want to see him continue to do. I just don't think it's going to garner him an, uh, a potential Academy Award nomination, especially if something like Uncut Gems couldn't do it in his performance in that film. If that couldn't get him an Oscar nomination, I don't think this is going to be the performance that does it for him as well. Could I be? Could it? Could it shock us? Sure, but sometimes again, the the, the Screen Actors Guild they, they 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 throw in a wild card or two in there. And I remember that one of the prime examples that I always use, but it's very much one that I think resonates and maintains to this day is Emily Blunt getting a supporting actress nomination for her role in the first Quiet Place film. Now again, great film great performance, but not one that was in the minds, I think, for a lot of people come award season time. Was it a nice addition? Sure, but not one that you could very much sustain itself and say, sure, that very much is one that I saw coming into the forefront for the Oscars. So again, I don't know if Adam Sandler is going to get the nomination, but again, he's in my benefits because he's done the, the campaign and it's paid off so far this way and getting a big time Screen Actors nomination. Another film that I think benefited this week was RRR, which I think for a lot of people is kind of one of the big foreign films to really boost itself up and kind of be like an award season darling, where it's not going to be getting, unfortunately, a Best International Feature nomination because India did not select it, unfortunately, for that Oscar. But I think the category that it could do very well in and surprise a lot of people is in Best Original Song for Not To Not To, which is this big cultural phenomenon in that in that specific performance that happens in the film and i remember hearing about this one a lot and i didn't think it would make any noise but 
clearly the critics choice enjoyed it to give it it's it, the award for best original song and again the hollywood report the hollywood foreign press same exact thing where they gave it best original song over giving it to the likes of either Rihanna, Taylor Swift, or Lady Gaga for the songs that they performed for their respective movies. So I think RRR and specifically that song could be a major force to come in that category specifically. The, another big benefit is the fact that I think very much Best Actress is going to be coming down to two actresses, specifically Kate Blanchett for Tar and Michelle Yeoh for Everything Everywhere All at Once. Now again, Michelle Yeoh was there for the Golden Globe. She did win. Kate Blanchett was not there for Best for to accept her Golden Globe for Tar, but she was there to accept the award for the Critics' Choice Award. So I think right now she has the edge, but again, I think the Screen Actors Guild Awards are going to decide who is the true front runner in that category but right now it's a toss-up either one of those two ladies are i think the co-front runners to win that award and again brendan frazier was a big winner as well and also what i think is a big benefit are these four films that i think are the four the four best true best picture contenders right now to win the overall award i think again the fablemans had a big week especially with the golden globes i think they're still on top everything everywhere all at once the fact that it won a lot of critics choice awards i know that was a big critics favorite but the fact that it's been winning awards and in the conversation i think will help a big time and it's still in the mix to really potentially be a true contender for for not just being nominated, but winning the Best Picture Oscar at the Academy Awards. Banshees of Inishirin, I still think, is a part of that conversation as well. And so is Top Gun Maverick. I, I, even though it's not winning a lot of these awards right now, there's just something about this film that I think could catch lightning in a bottle and just carry momentum, especially once the nominations come out for the Oscars next week. So I'm not counting that film out, but I think those are the four films to keep your eye out for right now to not just get nominated, but potentially win the whole thing come March of this year for the Oscars. And then to kind of wrap it up on the award season recap, just to kind of go over some of the losers in these races right now, and I think who are kind of cooling off coming into the nomination window as it's closing in the next few days. I think even though I think even though Sarah Pauly won for best adapted screenplay last night for Women Talking, I think the film is taking a big hit. The fact that it did not get a nomination in the PGA, the fact that Sarah Pauly did not get a nomination as a director, I think again one of the big omissions that has happened in a lot of these precursors is that not no female directors have gotten the recognition, and I unfortunately I feel like that could potentially happen with the Oscars this year i would not be shocked if it if no female directors get in which is a shame because i do think sarah Pauly did a really good job with the film i don't i still think women talking could get in for best picture potentially but i just think it's it's up in the air right now jesse buckley could, could still get in but I, I think what went from a assurances that oh th- th- these these aspects will definitely get in for women talking i think are very much more up in the air 50 50 at this particular moment in time i think another film that kind of got hurt but kind of rebounded once it got a producer's guild nomination was avatar the way of water i think the fact that james cameron did not get a directing nomination really hurt the film and I think it hurt his chances of maybe getting an Oscar. And again, another person that actually benefited this week or this past week was Joseph Kaczynski for Top Gun Maverick. I think his name kind of catapulted to the top of the list as well. 
So I think he's very much in a toss-up space too. I think the Academy could still go for him in the film because I think they love the first film so much. And I think this film adds a lot of great levels to the original film that they could potentially award Avatar The Way of Water. But I do think Cameron has cooled off a little bit, but he is staying on the minds of a lot of people. He's making the rounds. So he's doing as much as he possibly can in terms of campaigning for The Way of Water at this moment. And then another film that I thought was getting hot but has significantly cooled off over the last couple of weeks and really the last week or so ever since the Golden Globes was Babylon. I think getting out and not getting a best picture nomination or the equivalent of it for the PGA's hurt. The fact that Damien Chazelle did not get in for any of... For, for Best Director at the GGA really hurt them. And, and even though it got a Best Ensemble Award, I think the fact that Margot Robbie, Brad Pitt, James Smart, nobody got individual nominations at the SAGs, I think really hurt the film. But I, I think it could, could cool down. I do think it could get some below-the-line nominations come nomination morning next week. But for Best Picture, what went from maybe in my 7 to 8 spot is now down to my 9 to 10 to maybe even 11. It's on the outside, almost almost on the verge of outside looking in, but kind of staying alive at the moment. But I do think that Babylon really was hurt this past week. Even though Justin Hurwitz won best score at the, the Golden Globes, the fact that no PGA nomination, no DGA nomination, even though got an ensemble nomination at the SAGs, no individual performances were nominated at the SAG Awards for this year. So I think that'll really hurt the film as well. So, so I think overall, there were some things that really benefited from this last week, but there were some films that kind of cooled down a little bit. And I think are more toss-ups than surefire bets at this point to be nominated for the Oscars this year. What do you guys think about the award season track so far? Are you excited about nomination morning next week, which is kind of hard to believe that we're at the point of really kind of no return where nominations will soon be announced and we'll know the field of play for the final push of award season for the next month or so. Let me know what you think about all these and so much more down below. I'd love to know what you guys think. And the final thing that I want to talk about on the podcast today is to venture over into a little known universe called the Marvel Cinematic Universe. And of course, it's set to have a huge 2023 this year and it all kicks off with the latest phase specifically phase five of the multiverse saga and it all starts off with the next film in this franchise in ant-man and the wasp quantum mania which just had its new trailer debut about a week ago this time and there's a lot of anticipation for this film given the fact that it is an ant-man film and it's not just going to be one of these kind of smaller in into its own little corner of the mcu it's seems like Kevin Feige, the producers, Peyton Reed, who is the director once again of this of this franchise, are really going big and bold for the next film in the Ant-Man franchise and really putting a big, big film on the shoulders of Ant-Man and the Wasp and his little corner of the universe, which is going to have ramifications for the multiverse and for what's about to become a big building block for what we're going to be getting in the next few years with Avengers King Dynasty and, of course, Avengers Secret Wars. And the reasoning for that is that the big bad of this new saga is Kang the Conqueror, who was played by Jonathan Majors. And even though he had 
an appearance or one of the variants had an appearance in the season finale of Loki a few years ago. This is our first true introduction to Kang the Conqueror and Jonathan Majors' take on it. And I, I already heap praises on him. All hail Jonathan Majors in the the trailer that came out last week i think the trailer did a great job of really building a foundation of the threat that kang will be and the daunting task that ant-man and his crew have in trying to stop him in this movie and so i'm really excited to see what he's able to do and empire kind of added on to that as they had their kind of big spread on ant-man of the wasp quantumania with a lot of exclusives that are coming out from their magazine and a few days ago they included a brand new look at Kang the Conqueror and also added on one big feature that seems to be making its way over from the comics to live action and that is a look at Kang's time chair and again if I'm sure if you're a non-comic book fan you have no idea what I'm talking about whatsoever but if you're the comic book fan you know exactly what I'm talking about and the time chair for Kang just to kind of go into it a little bit because it seems like um, it looks like from the picture that the movie is going to be doing its own version of it basically the time chair is the equivalent for what Thanos was with the Infinity Gauntlet or what the Infinity Gauntlet was to Thanos is what the time chair is to to Kang which is really the device that he uses to conquer time the multiverse and time travel and all these different versions of time basically and he's able to utilize it from that time chair and he just Jonathan Majors just in the photo just him sitting down looks menacing and I, I just cannot wait to see what he does with that character and Kevin Feige was talked to Empire a little bit and he offered a little bit of insight into why Kang is the right big bad for this film for phase five and what to expect it from him moving forward and he had to say Kang allowed us to do a whole new kind of big bad he's a different type of villain wearing amongst themselves as much as he's wearing with our heroes Kang's a very powerful person but when we meet him he's in a position where he needs to get that power back he has a ship and a device that would allow him to go anywhere and any when he wants if he can get it online if only he had access to genius scientists with pym particles so kevin feige kind of giving a little bit of a hint as to the importance of scott and hank and hope and janet and cassie being there in the quantum realm and how it really is going to have an effect to kang's ultimate goals in this movie so i'm really excited to hear that i'm excited just overall for what kang has in store for us and what he's going to really kind of be utilized to do I know a lot of people are wondering, could Scott Lang potentially die in this movie? I It could very well be possible, but I, I do think that he is going to have a big part to play in Kang Dynasty and potentially Secret Wars. So I think something bad and the major ramifications of this film could be big and fatal. But I do think some of these characters obviously are going to be sticking around to really kind of uh, be the, the building bridge to a lot of these films and projects moving forward in the multiverse saga. So hopefully Phase 5 gets it gets off to a great start with this movie, and we'll see where it goes from here. But I think this this is a film that I don't think it's it's on it's on people's radars, of course, but I just don't I'm not hearing the same hype for it. And I and it might be because it's an Ant-Man film, but I'm wondering if this is a movie that could very much well benefit from word of mouth and when people know how big of a film this is, really. And it's not just the an, an everyday Ant-Man film that we gotten in the previous two movies i could see big big 
benefits happening for this film moving forward. But I love the look of Kang. What did you guys think of the look of Kang the Conqueror? Jonathan Majors playing this part. Let me know what you think down below and leave your thoughts. And with that down and out of the way, that will do it for this edition of the Sam Bissell Podcast. Once again, everyone, thank you so much for tuning in. Be sure to check out my channel for more content. You can check me out on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Radio Public, SoundCloud, and much more. Also, make sure to tune in onto the Ambiguous Podcast Solutions. And be sure to check out the other amazing shows that are on here, such as You Mad Bro, the number one source to see what the internet is pissed off about on a weekly basis. Also, check out goal-driven professionals geared toward improving client relations, return on investment, and customer acquisition costs for independent businesses and services. Also, make sure to check out The Daily Grind, a weekly motivational podcast with Kelly Johnson giving you everyday, everyday tips and key takeaways on reaching your goals. Also, along the way, make sure to check out these other amazing shows on the podcast solutions, such as Wrestle Attic Radio, Fretzelmania Podcast, and Midnight Showing. You can check these out and so much more on the website, ambiguouspodcastsolutions.com, also on Facebook and Twitter at Real Ambiguous. And if you want to check out Canopy Treehouse, use the coupon code AMBIGUOUS. Also, when you get a chance, make sure to follow me on social media. You can find me on Twitter at Bissell Samuel, that's B U S S E L S A M U E L, and also on Facebook at Sam Bissell. And also, you can find me on my YouTube channel at the Sam Bissell Podcast. So, once again, everyone, thank you so much for tuning in. Have a wonderful rest of the day. And until next time, keep on screening.